Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Um, I'm going to pray for us as we get into Romans chapter 8. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, thank you for the great things you're doing in our midst, uh, the, the power of your spirit to change lives, uh, Lord, the uh, forgiveness, the mercy, the kindness that comes from your hand. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are a God who speaks, you're a God who's acted uh, in Christ. Help us to understand Jesus too. Again, put our trust in him, uh, maybe even for the first time tonight. Realise the joy of forgiveness and freedom in him. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are. Two, we're in two gold chapters, uh, which sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? We've, we keep saying to you, all of the Bible is gold, uh, but here are two gold chapters. Uh, I'm going to make it worse for you tonight. Here is a gold verse. Um, so there's, there's gold chapters, there's gold verses. Uh, what, is, what are some of the bigger verses in the Bible? What are the verses that stand out to you? There's some of those verses that have become really popular, that actually encapsulate all of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. What's the most famous verse that you've ever heard? If you've been a Christian for a while? John 3.16, isn't it? Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There it is, all captured in one verse. Uh, It is actually... The verse of the Bible that's been spoken, that's been put out there more than any other part of the Bible. It's the verse that is the most famous. Uh, Have a look at this this guy, Tim Tebow. Uh, He's an American footballer. He he put John 3.16 on his eye black uh, during a game. Uh, It was in 2009. He was playing for the Florida Gators. They won the National Collegiate Championship. And he was so excited because after the game, he found out that 94 million people Googled John 3.16 after the game. Um, He thought that was a good result. (laughs) They won the championship, but as a Christian, he thought that was fantastic. He wanted the world to know, look what God has done. This is awesome. This is good news. Here's another guy, Roland Stewart. Uh, They've nicknamed him the Rainbow Man. I think you can tell by his, his hairstyle. Uh, he's a bit older. He was around, I think, in the 80s and the 90s. Basically, for two decades, he travelled around the continent of North America, went to all the big sporting games, all the world events, bought uh, incredibly expensive tickets, made sure he sat right behind uh, where the camera's going to be at the right time. So as the world looked on for that pitch or at the golf, that putt, they saw that amazing sporting moment and then they saw John 3.16. An amazing guy but a pretty crazy guy too. Um, He's actually in jail (laughs) Um, so don't don't follow his example. Um, Be zealous to get John 3.16 out there but yeah crazy guy I think even perhaps mentally ill but don't follow that guy. Um, But you know some verses are just big aren't they? And worth putting out there. And we've come to one of those tonight. Romans chapter 8. Here is a massive one. Verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is massive. That is huge. Uh, what is it saying? Peace with God is now possible. You can be declared right with God. Uh, you can have direct access to God. Uh, you can go to the, heaven, the heavenly throne of the Father and be his son or daughter. He will listen to you. Uh, you can be declared innocent, even though you know you're guilty. You no longer need to work to achieve favour with God. What's Paul saying? He's saying, therefore, given everything I've said in the book of Romans, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I reckon this is the thing that makes Christianity unique. Uh, Have you noticed every other religion is about us working our way to God, trying to earn our favour, our way before God? Uh, Never sure whether we'll make it. It's an incredibly insecure position to be, isn't it? doing the, uh, the religious rituals, being a certain way, being a certain person, trying to uh, do good things. What does Christianity say? No, no. Through the kindness and mercy of God, something has happened in history through Jesus that means now you are no longer condemned before God. Now, I reckon it's also possible tonight, as you hear that, that you may think it's not that big a deal. Uh, What are we getting so excited about? Uh, If you have the view that actually everything will be okay with God, Uh, everyone will reach God in the end, everyone gets to heaven in the end, Uh, after all, isn't God the God of love? Uh, Is my problem, the problem between me and God, really that bad? And isn't, isn't God meant to forgive? Isn't that his job? If you really don't think God really cares too much about sin, uh... Surely he can brush sin under the carpet, turn a blind eye to six million Jews murdered. Then this verse is really not that extraordinary, is it? But when you realise, when you appreciate who God is, when you realise his holiness, his majesty, his greatness, his purity, when you realise we're talking about the God for whom there is not one shadow of darkness in him, not a hint of evil, that he cannot look upon sin. And you start to realise, I could never stand before that God. And then you hear those beautiful words, there is now no condemnation. And they become the best possible words in the world. Well, who can know this? Who is this promise for? I think that's what Romans, the start of the chapter is all about. Who can know with certainty this, this experience of no condemnation? Uh, we've been hearing the stories uh, of people that have been changed by God, who've been uh, experiencing the peace of God, the forgiveness of God, the friendship of God. We've been hearing that at, at our Life series on Wednesday nights, and we're going to keep hearing how God's changed lives over our Roman series. Uh, we heard it tonight, didn't we? Uh, how did you feel when you heard Phil's story? There he's saying, I know no condemnation in Christ. How beautiful. Uh, What were the words that Phil used? It's only because of Jesus. Uh, It is is freeing. It is calming. It's comforting. It sets the direction of my life. Who can know this? That's what Romans 8 is about. This first four verses give us the answer. Have a look with me in verse 1 again. Romans 8. Have it in front of you. Verse 8, 
There is now no condemnation. For who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. And notice there's, there's two reasons why this is the case. Look at verse 2, there's a because. Look at verse 3, there's a for. There's two reasons. So look down at verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is, those who are in Christ Jesus have been liberated, have been set free. Uh, and it's a little bit tricky. The, the word law there, Paul's, he's not referring to the Old Testament law. He's actually using the word differently. He's using the word to mean authority or power or force. So read it with me again. Because, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the authority or power or the force of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the authority, the power, the force of sin and death. Sin and death, uh, that is powerful. But what is more powerful is the force, the authority, the power of the Spirit who gives life. You've been liberated. Because, verse 3, here's another reason, what the law, now he's talking about the Old Testament law, he's talking about the Mosaic law, the law given to Israel, what that law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, by our sinful nature, it, it condemns us uh, because we are sinful. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to to the spirit. Romans are going to take a bit more thought, a bit more, bit more depth. It's, it's, it's compact, isn't it? Can you see the structure though, where we're heading tonight? There's a, a declaration, there is no condemnation. And then who is it for? It's for those who are in Christ. How can this be? What's the reason? Well, it's because now through Christ, the power of sin and death has been broken by the power of the spirit. Tell me more. What's another reason? God has done something in Jesus' life in Jesus' death, to make this possible. So that's what we're going to unpack tonight. So firstly, what does it mean when he says, those in Christ Jesus? What does it mean to be in Jesus, to be in Christ? I want to give you, I want to give you three illustrations tonight to, to think about in Christ. The first one is the aeroplane. Uh, and I've, I think you've seen this one before. Um, there's a picture up here of an aeroplane. Someone said this morning, I think Michael's sponsored by Virgin. Uh, <laughs> Um, but, you know, we don't have very many good illustrations, so I've just got to keep rolling them out. Um, think about, you want to go to Perth? Perth is a long way. How do you get to Perth? You've got to get on the plane that will take you to Perth. You could walk. I don't recommend it. Um, what do you have to do? You have to get in the plane, don't you? You have to trust the plane. Uh, to benefit from the trip, to actually get there, you need to let the plane do the work what do you need to do? You need to get in the plane. No use looking at the plane, investigating the plane. You actually need to take that step, that trust of confidence in the plane and get in. So it is with Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ, to put your trust in Jesus and what he has done, to depend on him, to rely on him, to identify with him, to say, I am in him, I am with him. And so if you're, if you're in Christ, you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus, that's who you are. That's what it means. 
Now, what does that mean in terms of the way we speak to God? Well, how would you even start to be in Christ for the first time? I reckon it's this kind of prayer. It's the prayer that says to God, I really, I really need you. I can't do this on my own. I haven't always lived your way. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on my behalf. I trust that what he did at the cross for my sin is enough. That now I can be forgiven. I can be called your child. Please help me now to live as your child, to live with you as Lord. If that's your prayer, you are united with Jesus. And can I say, get this, if you haven't been focusing so far, get this. This is what it means to be united with Christ is a massive thing. It is the most important thing in the world because what it means is what is true for Jesus becomes true for you. What is true for Jesus is true for you if you are in Christ. Let me spell that out. Uh, Just as the Father looks on his Son, Jesus, with great delight, now that you are in Christ, he looks on you with great delight. Uh, As he looks on the Son and sees his Son spotless, blameless, clean, he looks upon you spotless, blameless, clean. I want to give you the second illustration about in Christ, and it's actually from the book of Romans. Uh, Two chapters earlier, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, if you want to flick back there and have a look. It's it's about baptism. Now, what do you think of when you think of baptism? I know what you're thinking, and this picture hasn't helped you, because you're thinking water, aren't you? But Paul and the New Testament largely doesn't think about water, first thinks about putting your trust in Christ. Uh, that Paul says in, in Romans uh, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, that now that you've been baptised into Christ, now that you've been immersed into him as you trust him, now that your identity is with Christ, you're completely caught up with him, you're united with him, surrounded by him, he is your life, you stand with him, what is true for him is true for you. And he says, when Jesus died, you died. And when, just as you saw Jesus risen from the dead, now you are risen with him and you will be raised on that last day. What is true for him is also true for you. There is the most important baptism. There's the baptism that everyone has when they put their trust in Jesus. And then there's the water baptism, right? The water baptism uh, doesn't, give you no condemnation in Christ. If the water baptism could save you, I'd be putting people down at uh, Wollongong Harbour every week. Um, People are getting baptised every week down there. Uh, They're not putting their faith in Christ. Uh, But what is the water baptism? The water baptism is a very powerful symbol, isn't it? Because you think about what happens in water baptism. Someone goes down in the water for just enough time. Uh, They are buried in the water. They're buried with Christ. Uh, And it's a beautiful picture of being with Christ, surrounded by Christ, in Christ, and then raised with Christ out of the water. Uh, United with Christ, having new life in him, and that picture of being raised on that last day. Do do come down in two weeks' time. We're we're going to have baptisms down at the harbour, so four o'clock rather than five o'clock here. 
and then we'll come back here for church. But come down to the harbour, a few people are going to get baptised, it's going to be an awesome time to see that beautiful symbol of being in Christ. So no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Look at verse 3. Jesus now has identified with us by becoming human. Uh, It says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he was human, but he was not sinful. Look at down at verse 4. So that the righteous requirements of the law may be fully met in us. What's, what's the law about? What's the purposes of the law? I reckon there's two purposes of the law. One is positive and one is negative. So positively, what's the law about? The law is about how to live to please God, how to live God's way, how to live as one of God's people in God's world. That's positively what the, the law is. But negatively, the law is, is if, you, if you fail to keep the law, you'll come under the judgment of God. You'll be crushed by God. And so Jesus fulfills the two purposes of the law on our behalf. He does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so how does that work? He, he lives the perfect righteous life. He fulfills the law in that way, in all righteousness on our behalf. And secondly, he suffers the penalty of the law not for his sin, but for our sin. And so that's what it means by he gives himself as a sin offering for us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says he becomes sin for us. He's not sinful. He becomes sin. He takes upon our sin. And both of those are credited to us if we're in Christ. So can you, can you picture this? If you're in Christ then, we are declared righteous as if we'd met the law perfectly because that's what Jesus has done on our behalf with his righteous life and if we're in Christ now we have died under the law as if we have paid for our sin because Jesus has and so that's what it means in verse 4 when it says the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us you see that that is a massive transfer transfer yeah that that is a that is a substitution An extraordinary substitution that's taken place. His life in place of ours. Because if you're in Christ, everything that is his is ours. I want to give you the third illustration for being in Christ. And it's the illustration of marriage. It's the picture of marriage. Um, There's something profound about marriage. The Bible talks about this in Ephesians chapter 5. That you're meant to look at human marriage and see it as a mirror, as a picture of the true marriage between Christ and his church. Uh, There's something profound and deep going on with human marriage that should get you to think about this union between us and Christ. The thing that really matters, the eternal thing. Human marriage lasts for a lifetime, is not for everyone. Uh, that marriage with Christ, that union with Christ goes into eternity. Now, it's a little bit tricky, isn't it? Because as you think about marriage, um, our thinking is, is coloured by our culture, isn't it? Our cultures actually redefine marriage. Uh, I think most people think of marriage as uh, two people who really love one another romantically, uh, who make a promise to one another to be together for as long as that romantic love lasts. But marriage, according to God, is actually more profound and more deep. It says a lot about oneness, that the purpose of marriage 
is to make two into one. Uh, You get it from Genesis, don't you? Leaving your parents, forsaking all others, we say in the marriage ceremony, joining to unite profoundly with another person. There's the picture of the mirror of us and Christ, to cleave with that person, commit to that person, promise to that person, uh, be wedded to that person, become one with that person. Uh, it's, it's the phrase, what's yours when you enter a marriage, this is what's happened, what's yours is mine, what's mine is yours. So just be prepared for that. When you, if you're thinking about marrying someone, uh, what's yours is mine, what's mine is yours. Are you up for that? Um, it's why people marry up, right? Because you want to you get more, you don't have much. Um, when you unite with Jesus, what he has becomes yours. What he has becomes yours. And what you have becomes his. How does that work? When he sees you... He sees Jesus' righteousness. And what do you bring to the relationship? You bring sin. And Jesus deals with it. Jesus dies for it. Can you see how massive the benefit is as you unite with Jesus? Everything he has achieved, he's achieved for you. And can you see how perfectly just God is and perfectly merciful God is? You see how he can be just, not sweep sin under the carpet. Uh, He's dealt with sin at the cross on our behalf. And can you see how he can be genuinely merciful at the same time? He can declare you no longer condemned, forgiven, innocent, because sin has been paid for. That's how how, uh, he's able to say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, where does that leave us? I reckon there's a really obvious next, next point here, isn't there? It really raises the question, where are you with, with Christ, doesn't it? It's, it's really, have you decided to be in Christ? Are you in Christ or you're outside of Christ? Have you actually stepped onto the plane? Have you trusted him? Have you been baptised into Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Do you rely on him? Do you depend on him? Or do you depend on yourself or someone else or something else? It's a decision, will you unite yourself to Jesus? Will you become one with Jesus by faith? But here's something more this passage brings tonight. Here's another way of working out whether you're in Christ. Here's another sign, another test, uh, whether you can have that assurance of no condemnation. Have a look down in verse 4. It's those, who are those who are in Christ? It's those who live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. See, verse 4, it says, it's those who've had the righteous requirements of the law met in them. Who are they? Those are the ones who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As I kind of raise, that's a burning question at that point, isn't it? What does it mean to live by the Spirit? Because it's really important, isn't it? If you live by the Spirit, you are in Christ if you're, and you're free from condemnation. If you don't live by the Spirit, you're not free uh, from condemnation. You're not in Christ. It's a, it's a great reminder, isn't it, that not everyone is free from condemnation. Uh, 
To some, Jesus will say on that last day, horrifying words, I never knew you. I think they're the, the, the most horrifying four words in the whole Bible. But it's actually possible to claim Jesus, to be religious, to come to church, to think you are when you're not. And you notice Jesus when he's, uh, if you've read through the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, he's just, he's just a master at picking out the fake believer, isn't he? He's, he's a master at picking out the religious hypocrite, the person who says it all but their life hasn't changed, who think, you know, even, even that guy who was rich who said, I want to come to you, what, what do I need to do? You can't do it. Give up everything. You don't really want to come to me. Jesus presses people because he loves people. He doesn't want them to face God's condemnation. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? Uh, Paul actually goes on in, in verse 5. It's to have your mind set on what the Spirit desires. Uh, you either have your mind set on the flesh, on sin, on sinful desires, or you have your mind set on the Spirit and what the Spirit desires. Or Look at down in verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It's very, very important to get this right. You're either in the realm of the Spirit, living by the Spirit, or in the realm of the flesh, living uh, by the flesh. Your mind is set on the things of the Spirit, and you're in Christ and you have no condemnation. Or your mind is set on the things of, of the flesh, and you are condemned. What does it mean? We're going to talk more about this next week, so do come back next week. Uh, as we think about who is the Spirit, what is, what is the Spirit about? But I reckon as we think, if you think into the rest of Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about it is the person who has the Spirit. As you put your trust in Jesus, it's not a, an extra thing. It's actually by the Spirit that the children of God call God their Father. Uh, that when you confess Jesus Lord, when you become a Christian, when you're in Christ, you have the Spirit God now dwells within you and God has made a remarkable change in your life. Everything's starting to change. He's taken over your life, your heart, your affections, your desires. Not perfectly, you're still wrestling with sin, but it's a bit like a magnet. You, you, you turn the magnet away and what happens? The magnet just wants to go back and keep going and following Christ. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? It's the person who, whose heart wants to love God sincerely and holistically it's that unmistakable change in someone's life when you see it you go yep they really are in Christ they really do trust Jesus a change is starting to come about in their life it is it is only a great work of God that could achieve that it's the person who starts more and more to love the things that God loves to hate the things that God hates I reckon you, you know that person when you see them, uh, that the, the things of their old life start slipping away. Uh, suddenly the sin that just sat there uh, was so much a part of their life now horrifies them. They want to turn from. They, they used to be dead to God, now they're alive to God. And where are they heading in life? They're actually becoming Romans 8, We'll look at this in the future weeks, they're actually becoming more and more like the Son, Jesus. They're becoming less like their old self, 
life is becoming more about Jesus and less about them. That's the person who lives by the Spirit. Well, where have we come tonight? Uh, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The power of the law of sin and death, that realm of the flesh, has been broken by the force, the authority of the Spirit. How does it happen? Jesus has done it by his righteous life on our behalf, by his sin offering on our behalf, that Jesus' righteousness becomes ours. God can look at us and say, you are my righteous son, you're my righteous daughter, you are forgiven, you are declared innocent in my sight. Can I say, if, if that's you tonight, as you think, I am in Christ, uh, we're going to celebrate uh, in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion uh, together. We're going to celebrate the Lord Jesus' death for us. Can I just encourage you, not just tonight, but have a heart that rejoices in that? You have the Spirit of God. You've put your trust in Christ. You are no longer condemned. Rejoice in that. But if you think to yourself, I don't know whether I am in Christ. I don't know whether I do have that confidence. I don't know whether the Spirit has changed me, but I want to keep exploring that. I want to keep digging into that. I need help with that. Please, please uh, don't go away tonight wondering about that. Come and talk to us. I would love to talk to you about those things. And two, two last implications before I pray, and then we're going we're to have communion. Two things I reckon this helps us with. One is dealing with our guilt. I don't know how you go with guilt in your life. Um, I'm not sure what the stats are, but they say that women feel much more guilty than men. Uh, it's, it's the character of life, isn't it? Some of us feel way too guilty. Some of us don't feel guilty enough. Guilt, guilt can be helpful uh, when you realise, I have done wrong, I do need to confess, I do need to be forgiven. Human relationships, relationships with God. But guilt can also be incredibly crippling. When you feel the condemnation either from God or you feel the condemnation from others. And I reckon tonight is a great time to reflect and think, God, if you're in Christ, here's God's final word for you. You are no longer condemned. The judge of all has said, you are forgiven. You are, you are not to feel guilty. Before your heavenly father, there is no condemnation. And it has great implications, doesn't it? Because it's what Paul says in Colossians, don't let anyone judge you about your past. If you've sinned, you, you know what you need to do. You need to repent, you need to ask forgiveness, you need to sort it out with the person. But if you haven't sinned and you've received, you've, you don't need to repent and we know that we've received forgiveness from God and so guilt doesn't need to dominate, it doesn't need to define us. There's no condemnation in Christ. And secondly, I reckon it also really has a huge impact on the way we treat other people. Uh, it's, it's really quite horrifying to me when people say Christians can be judgmental. Because of all people, that is so out of character, isn't it? We are the people that know we are guilty, know we are forgiven, have received this wonderful news from God because of Christ. We're the people who don't condemn others we're the people who say, there by the grace of God go I. We're the people who have the message of forgiveness, of mercy, of no condemnation to give out to others. And so it's not our place to judge. It's not our place to condemn people. Leave that with God 
offer the forgiveness, the mercy that's in Christ, point people to there is a place where there is no condemnation in Christ. Let me pray. Our great Heavenly Father, thanks so much for the reminder tonight. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. Father, may we never tire from the wonder, the joy of what you've done for us in Christ. Uh, That you've broken the power of the law of sin and death. That the authority of the Spirit, your very presence in our lives, mean we can live lives that please you in every way. Thank you that this is all because of Christ. That Christ's righteous life fulfilled the law completely on our behalf. And that his sin offering means that our sin has been paid for. Father, thank you so much for that transfer that took place in Christ. Father, please now keep reminding us of these things as we step into communion. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.